Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church here on the last November, last Sunday in November 2020. Hopefully we'll have many other. As we begin our service this morning, I hope all of you had wonderful Thanksgiving, uh, wonderful Thanksgiving week and that uh, uh, not too much turkey, but just as much as you desired. I was uh, in Tennessee with the Wards, Clay and Amy and their six children. Um, had a, a wonderful time. Uh, it was a wonderful break uh, in Tennessee. Uh, the Wards have six children. Andrew is the oldest child, right at 15. Reagan is about a year younger. And then Jonathan uh, is probably around 12. Hannah, Abigail, and Lydia. Lydia will be eight. I heard that about ten times while I was there from Lydia. She'll be eight this next week. And so the uh, the days, the moments were filled with many activities, and I had a great time. It was uh, a wonderful, uh, wonderful visit to Tullahoma. As a matter of fact, the church just moved into a new location. I was going to bring those pictures this morning, and <clears throat> it just slipped my mind, but they are no longer the Playroma Bible Church. They are the Tullahoma Bible Church. And they uh, they enjoyed their first name, but they said that no one uh, ever uh, understood what it was, even after they were told. Uh, so Tullahoma. And <clears throat> I can't remember uh, someone I was telling, reporting this, and they said, and do you think anyone's going to know anything more about Tullahoma than they did Playroma? I said, well, the people in Tullahoma will. So, well, this morning, what I hope to do is to continue a little bit of our special on Thanksgiving. I mean, Thanksgiving is uh, just a couple days behind us, and there's much to be learned about Thanksgiving and gratitude. And today, gratitude will be uh, the topic. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's take a few seconds for our personal spiritual preparation, closing our eyes, bowing our heads, and you have just a few seconds, I'm sure that's all it will take, for you to either confess any just recent sins, but also to begin our focus on our worship service this morning. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads, and I'll open us in prayer.
Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we pause this week for Thanksgiving. But we understand that the Thanksgiving is directed to you. We're thankful for the extraordinary, even indescribable works that you have done for us, your love for us, your provisions for us. Even though day to day, those thoughts, those, that understanding eludes us, we know that you continue to love us, love us unconditionally. And we're thankful, Father, that uh, as we grow spiritually, that we will spend more time, our thoughts with you, and realizing that uh, our lives would truly be empty and without significance, without our devotion, commitment, and worship of you. We ask for your blessing upon our service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn to Colossians. Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Now, prior to turning to Colossians, let me address several questions that I've actually received over the years. And recently... Uh, when I was in Tullahoma, I had the opportunity to address the the church, Tullahoma Bible Church, and Pastor Clay Ward asked me if I would update the the members on my two year, almost two year experience, and uh, uh, I wanted to also thank them for their prayers for me, and. When I was finished, one of the, um, uh, after I had spoken about prayer, taught about prayer, we reviewed uh, quite a few passages in the Word of God about prayer, I had um, a couple questions from several of the young men afterwards. And one of the questions, and it's a question that I've entertained previously, is that in prayer, well, very often, and we should, begin our prayers with uh, confession so that we are in fellowship with God the Holy Spirit as we pray. And, of course, we know First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the... Uh, the question is, and we very often need to uh, address this, is, and we know or we've been taught that if we confess our sins, that is the known sins. There are very often sins that we might have committed, maybe a mental attitude sin, uh, or we may have uh, committed a sins of the tongue. But the ones we know we confess, and then it says that we will we are we are cleansed from all unrighteousness, which means even the sins that. As a matter of fact, why don't we turn to? I'm 
talking to you, we might as well see 1 John 1 9. 1 John 1 9. And you can see the verse yourself. 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins. It doesn't say if we confess all of our sins. It simply says if we confess our sins. Sins that we, uh, we are aware of. It's pretty difficult to confess sins that you don't know you've committed. Although there are some of us who try to. You know, we just assume, and I remember Pastor Theme teaching this, him one time saying uh, he assumes that he's probably had uh, arrogance, and so he always confesses that. Maybe not a bad idea. Uh, but there are sins that we have committed that we that elude us. So it says if we confess our sins, and these are the sins that we we understand we've committed, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, the question that I was asked is if we're in prayer and uh, as we've confessed our sins and now we're in the middle of our prayer, what happens if we at that time uh, recall a sin that we committed? Or as we're praying, and this once in a while will happen, you will remember something that someone has done or someone said, and you'll have a mental attitude sin at that point. Now, I know that I'm saying you. Maybe this is only my experience. But if you should sin while you're praying, the question, there were two questions here. First of all, if you recall a sin while you're in your prayer, does that mean one of two things? First of all, you really had a sin, and while you were praying, you hadn't acknowledged it. Was everything, all the, everything that you uh, prayed up to that point, was that unrighteousness, and was that, therefore, uh, of no value? Well, first of all, if we have confessed the sins that we know, then all the unrighteousnesses have been forgiven as well. Now, should we then stop and confess that sin? Well, I think it's worth acknowledging to God, even though more than likely God knew of that sin. And in your, let's say ignorance, not stupidity, but in your ignorance at that moment, when you confessed your sins, God cleansed you from some, only the ones that you confessed. No, all unrighteousness. So for those who are more, deta- more detailed uh, oriented, if you confess the sins that you know, God cleanses you from all unrighteousness. If in your prayer you now it occurs to you that there was a sin there that you could have confessed. Well, yes, if you'd like to acknowledge it, but continue on realizing that God knew about all of those sins and that sin and a sin that you have not yet committed. He knew about those. And when you confessed your sins and if he cleansed you truly from all unrighteousness, 
then you are in fellowship and you're allowed to pray. Now, the question that followed that was, see if I can remember how it was asked. Um, If, I think I may have already covered it one way here. Well, I think that's that's the, the sense of it. And I've been asked that a couple times. If you then commit, oh, I know what I want to say. If you then commit the sin while you're praying, I would, uh, it's, I would confess that, yes. And every now and then that will happen. Prayer is not always the easiest task in our quiver, our spiritual quiver. It takes concentration and uh, in that, in the midst of that con, uh, concentration, we will sometimes, um, in praying for someone or something, we will have uh, thoughts of resentment or um, will be, uh, have a sense of being intolerant towards someone because we've been praying for them and they may not be responding to it. Well, that's God's responsibility, not ours. But if you have, if you um, commit a sin while you're praying, confess it and and continue. And all of the prayer that you've had prior to that is not erased. God is aware of what's happening in our lives, our thoughts. And uh, he is absolutely remarkable uh, in his approach to us. He wants us to approach him in prayer. And prayer is not always the easiest thing for us to do. All right. If there's any other questions about that, please, please ask. Uh, Sometimes I'm not, I enjoy the questions. Let's put it that way. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. We're going to be discussing Thanksgiving Uh, by way of gratitude. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Colossians. And the Colossians church was a uh, a mature church and uh, probably very similar to Ephesians and other churches in that area. And one of the reasons that they were similar is because They were part of Paul's ministry in that area, which was in the, what we call today, Asia Minor. Uh, Back then it was the Roman providence of Asia. Verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, live according to him, Rooted and built up in him, this is our spiritual growth, and established in the faith. The faith here, established in the faith, uh, what Paul was teaching. Paul was teaching biblical doctrine. And as they learned it, their spiritual life grew, established in the faith. As you have been taught abounding in it in the sphere of thanksgiving. You'll notice that thanksgiving is part of Paul's ministry. He taught thanksgiving. 
he not only taught it, but then when he prayed, he used thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is um, something that doesn't always come easy to us. Um, I think, and we're going to study uh, gratitude here in a moment, gratitude uh, is a measure of our spiritual life. How how uh, thankful or the depth of our gratitude is an indication of our understanding of who God is and what he's done for us. And it's not always easy for us to be gratitude, to have gratitude towards others. Now, there's one other thing I wanted to do just prior to moving to uh, our uh, study on gratitude. And that is, I wanted to read an article, an article that was sent to me this past week. And it's a passage, or it's a article, from John Hopkins. Now, I'm not reading this uh, from a political standpoint. I'm going to make a point from this article and the information that's here. I think it's important to us as we live our lives to realize that God is in control. And uh, I'm not sure that the application uh, is necessarily made from this this article by others. But as I was reading this, uh, it tells me that God truly is in control, no matter what's happening in the world around us. This is John Hopkins' study saying that COVID-19 has relatively no effect on deaths in the United States. Now, for some of us, we might say, that's what I thought. But I think what this is going to teach us is that God is in control of life and death. Now, let me read through this. Conventional wisdom is that COVID-19 has caused thousands of deaths in the United States and nearly 1.5 million worldwide. This This perception has been directly challenged by a study published by Johns Hopkins University on November 22nd. Genevieve Braid Assistant Program Director of the Applied Economics Master's Degree Program in John Hopkins University, critically analyzed the impact that COVID-19 had on U.S. deaths. According to uh, her her last name is spelled B-R-I-A-N-D, and I believe it's pronounced Braid. So according to Braid, the impact of COVID-19 on deaths in the United States can be fully understand by comparing it to the number of total deaths in the country. According to the study, in contrast to most people's assumptions, the number of deaths by COVID-19 is not alarming. In fact, it has relatively no effect on deaths in the United States. And there was a graph with this. I'm just not, I'm simply not going to show it because it uh, is small and it's, a bit difficult to read. 
So exactly how did the study conclude that COVID-19 has relatively no effect on deaths? Here's how the study made this determination. After retrieving data on the CDC uh, website, Braid uh, compiled a graph representing uh, percentages of total deaths per age category from early February to early September, which includes the period from before COVID-19 was detected in the United States to after affection rates soared. Surprisingly, the deaths of older people stayed the same before and after COVID-19 and after COVID-19. Since COVID-19 mainly affects the elders, elderly, experts expected an increase in the percentage of deaths in older age groups. However, this increase is not seen from the CDC data. CDC is our Center for Disease Control. So this is supposedly our government's uh, data. This is not data that was taken uh, by someone uh, who was had a an agenda. And hopefully the CDC doesn't have an agenda, or at least for this study. In fact, the percentages of death deaths among all ages all age groups remained relatively the same. So for the past, let's say for almost year, the frantic worry about deaths has been probably overblown because the same number of deaths or percentage of death per age category compared to other years is relatively the same. No difference. According to Brand, the reason we have a higher number of reported COVID-19 deaths among uh, older individuals than younger individuals is simply because Now, this is going to be profound, simply because every day in the older, in the U.S., older, in the U.S., older individuals die in higher numbers than younger individuals. Let me read that again. The reason we have a higher number of reported COVID-19 deaths among older individuals than younger individuals is simply because every day in the U.S., older individuals die in higher numbers than younger individuals. For some reason, our lives come to an end. Isn't that remarkable? Brand's analysis found that the range of deaths among the older population has remained within the range of past years. So if COVID-19 has actually had no significant impact on U.S. deaths, why does it not appear that way? To answer that question, Braid shifted her focus to the deaths per cause ranging from 2014 to 2020. There's a sudden increase in death in 2020 due to COVID-19. This is no surprise because COVID-19 emerged in the U.S. in early 2020, and thus COVID-19-related deaths increased drastically afterwards. Analysis of deaths 
per cause in 218 revealed that the pattern of seasonal increase increase in the total number of deaths is a result of the rise in deaths of all causes, with the top three being heart disease, respiration, uh, respirate, resp- respiratory diseases, influenza, and uh, pneumonia. In- uh, influenza and pneumonia, pneumonia are the third category. So we have uh, heart disease, respiratory disease, one and two, and influenza and pneumonia, the third category. And what this is going to say is that if we look at 2018 and then 2019, we have a remarkable decrease in those three areas. And COVID-19 has been credited for those deaths. This is true every year, explained Braid. Every year in the U.S., when we observe the seasonal ups and downs, we have an increase of deaths due to all causes. When Braid looked at the, 2000, uh, the 2020 data during that seasonal period, COVID-19-related deaths exceeded deaths from heart disease. This was highly unusual since heart disease has always prevailed, uh, prevailed as the leading cause of death. However, when taking a closer look at the death numbers, she noted something strange. As Braid compared the numbers of death per cause during that period in 2020 to, two, to 2018, she noticed that instead of the expected drastic increase across all causes, there was a significant decrease in deaths due to heart disease. Even more surprising, as seen in the in the graph that was with this, uh, accompanied this article, the sudden decline in deaths is observed for all other causes. I can go on, but I want to stop here. What's my point? My point is God controls life and death. And God uses various means to take lives. Sometimes it's heart disease. Sometimes it's the flu. Sometimes, what was my second category that I had here? Uh, Sometimes it's respiratory diseases. And this virus, in, in taking these lives, is simply the way that God took them. My point is, if you died last year, of COVID-19, you would have died last year, possibly from another disease. But the level of deaths in the United States has remained level. Now, you can make other applications from this. I'm not going to do so. I just wanted to let you know that God has been in control of life and death for the past five years, 10 years, 20 years. And there are some times, there are are times when when that death uh, rate is ramped up. God is aware of that because God is the one that ends life. And how he ends life can be seen through the variations of diseases 
through the years. And it just so happens that this, God knew of COVID-19, he knew that that was going to be a type of flu or virus that was going to take lives. And that's how he took those lives home. Anyhow, I wanted to make the point, victory over death is important. It's important. It's an important doctrine that must guide our lives. And COVID-19 is well within the control of God's desire for certain deaths and for uh, extension of lives. All right. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 introduces us to thanksgiving, gratitude. Last week, I read the proclamation for thanksgiving from the Continental Congress in 1777. I didn't have time to read the first proclamation as a nation by George Washington on October the 3rd in 1789. And I would like to read that this morning. But as I read it again, I made this point last week, but as you, as I read this, listen to the references to God. And I think when we think, when we think of thanksgiving, we uh, like to return to the pilgrims. But every Thanksgiving proclamation, as we move through our history, American history, it's a thanksgiving for what God is doing at that time. And we could do the same thing this year. Now listen to George Washington's proclamation. He says, Whereas... And, of course, this is going to be official language. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committees requested me, George Washington, to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many single favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity, an opportunity peacefully to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent, uh, uh, beneficent author of all the good that was, 
that is or will be. George Washington's understanding of who God is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do is strong. That we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous uh, to this country, previous to their becoming a nation, for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of his providence, which we experienced in the course and conclusion of the late war. For the great degree of tranquility, union and plenity and plenty, which we have since we have since enjoyed for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the national one now lately instituted. This was, of course, the USS Constitution. For the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed and the means we have acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge and in general for all the great and various favors which he hath pleased to confer upon us. And then his concluding paragraph. And also that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions to enable us all, therefore, in public or private station to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually to render our national, our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed to protect and guide all sovereign, all sovereigns and nations. So sovereigns would be the leaders and nations, especially such as we have shown kindness, uh, especially such as have shown kindness unto us and to bless them with good government, peace and concord to promote the knowledge and practice of of true religion and virtue and the increase of science among them and us, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he, God, alone knows to be best. Again, our nation was established on biblical principles and upon the blessings of God, his protection and his provision. And uh, our first president, George Washington, recognized that. All right. Well, I should have had this up here for you, Thanksgiving proclamation. Uh, president George Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation, October 3rd, 1789. You'll notice signal favors from Almighty God. I just find it remarkable that our founders had such a high regard, respect, and thankful understanding 
of Almighty God. Okay. Principles of gratitude. We're not going to, it's not going to take us long to go through these, but they're important to us. And gratitude, as I said, I think is a measure of our spiritual, spiritual growth. First of all, gratitude derives from the Latin gratia, meaning grace, favor, kindness, and the response to kindnesses. So gratitude here comes from that Latin word. That's where we get the word grace or gratitude. And it comes from the, the Latin family, gratia. Secondly, gratitude is expressed as appreciation, acknowledgement, recognition, being grateful or thankful. And one of the passages that teaches us about God and his common grace to us is Romans one twenty one. This is a passage, I think, that is well known. But it tells us that God has revealed himself to us, but there are many who are not, uh, who reject God's revelation. Let me just begin in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what is known of God is manifested to them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, his creation, his eternal power, and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So here is an expression of those who are not thankful, but we should be thankful for his uh, common grace, his revelation to us. And here is a, a, a passage that tells us uh, they were those who reject him are uh, lack a thank uh, they lack gratitude. Secondly, thirdly, rather, gratitude is directly related to orienting to the grace of God. And very often we uh, uh, describe this as grace orientation. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Gratitude is directly related to uh, orienting to the grace of God. Grace orientation begins by understanding that everything we are and have comes from God. I have... Uh, Psalm 103, 100, verse 3. So as we turn to Psalm 100, let's go beyond that and go to Psalm 79. This is probably not a, a psalm that we read often. Psalm 79, verse 13. 
Psalm 79, 13. So we, your people and sheep of your pasture, will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. And praise is a form of gratitude. We'll see this in other passages. But we are your people. We are the shepherd. We are the sheep of your pasture. So back to Psalm 100, verse 3. Verse 3 says, Know or acknowledge that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and we belong to him. I've corrected that translation. And we belong to him. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Uh, It is remembering that we really were made from dust. And it is to dust we will return. So in understanding this, we deserve nothing. And there is nothing about us that impresses God. But his love for us is uh, is unconditional because his love is based upon his character, not us. Point four, gratitude is, ex- is expressed from humility. Gratitude is expressed from humility. Ephesians 5, 20, 21, and 1 Peter 5, 5. What we're going to see here is that genuine humility begins once we submit to the authority of God's word. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Um, Ephesians 5.20 tells us that we are to give thanks for all things. And then we also learn that we are to be submitting. That's the, the sense of being humble, humility towards others. And then also 1 Peter 5.5, passage that most of us have even memorized. 1 Peter 5. Likewise, you younger people, this is the Apostle Peter teaching humility. Likewise, you, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So gratitude is expressed from humility. Genuine humility begins once we submit to the authority of God. Point five, gratitude without humility is not genuine humility. Uh, Every now and then there is a form of false gratitude that slips into our lives, that, that, that creeps into our lives. Our humility and our gratitude must be genuine. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Genuine humility 
genu- or gratitude without humility is not genuine gratity, gratitude. Why? Because we understand that we are nothing and we deserve nothing. Who are we? We are bondservants of God, bondservants of our Lord. And this is what we learn in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. This is the Apostle Paul teaching uh, Christian, the Christian life. And he says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? And, you know, the, the, the remarkable thing about it is is that this body that we have, created by God, was created to serve him. And that's uh, the message that we have here in verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And this is, of course, uh, more appropriate to us uh, as believers because our body becomes uh, God the Holy Spirit indwells us, making it the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have, God the Holy Spirit, from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Uh, therefore, glorify God in your in your bodies, by means of your bodies, and in your spirit, which are God's. We need to develop that uh, genuine commit, genuine gratitude. And I think my next uh, point is going to deal with this as well. But we need to develop that. Uh, simply because we are not our own. And very often people think, well, I can pretty much live my life the way I want to live. No, we live our lives in uh, uh, to honor God. Point six, the capacity for genuine gratitude develops from understanding our salvation. I quoted this passage in Ephesians 2.8. The capacity for genuine Gratitude developed from understanding our salvation. Phase one, salvation. We realize that we are totally lost, separated from God, and in his justice, we deserve eternal condemnation. Yet in God's love, he supplies for us a perfect solution based on his grace policy. So in Ephesians Two, eight, many of us have memorized, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. So through grace, through God's grace, we have uh, our salvation, and we should be significantly, we should be genuinely thankful. Seven, gratitude must first be directed towards God, 1 Peter 1, 3. And we'll see that praise is going to be expressed here in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, 3. Gratitude must first be directed towards God. The word that begins verse 3 in 1 Peter 3 is in my Um, New King James Version, English, 
translation is blessed be the God. First Peter one three. The word blessed here, blessed or blessed, either one, is a form of praise. It could actually be translated praise. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So uh, what we see here is that praise is a form of gratitude. Blessed can also be translated praise. Praise is this form. As we understand our salvation, we begin to have a fuller understanding of God's character. Gratitude is then based on knowledge. It's not just an emotion. Uh, Emotions are not wrong, but we have to base our emotions on facts, on knowledge. So this is... Uh, that this makes gratitude a volitional, a volitional decision. And then point eight. Point eight, gratitude is the basis for true happiness. Very often when the Apostle Paul or John or Peter are addressing thankfulness, they will also indicate a joyfulness. And there's... Uh, a wonderful passage which we've studied very often in 1 Thessalonians 5:16 through 18. Uh, and as we read this passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, which we've just recently studied, 1 Thessalonians 5, it's a passage that we should probably memorize. We start with rejoice. Rejoice always. That's an imperative. Rejoice always. Secondly, pray without ceasing. That is also an imperative. And then finally, 18, in everything, give thanks. Why? Why should we give thanks? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So these three imperatives, uh, rejoicing, being in fellowship with God, that's prayer, and um, being thankful. These really are expressions of happiness. How in the world can we rejoice, be in fellowship with Christ, uh, with God, and be thankful without having a sense of happiness. We realize that we deserve nothing and what we have is God's grace provision. And that's what we're told in James 1.17. We're told that all good gifts comes from God, come down from heaven. Somewhere along this road of developing genuine humility and gratitude, the believer realizes that he should be praising God worshiping and serving his Savior. And uh, that is our expression of gratitude. Another quick couple of points to be made. Gratitude, when directed towards God, is a measure of our, la- our love for God. 
Gratitude, when directed towards God, is a measure of our love for God. Psalm 97. Psalm 97, verses 10 through 11. Gratitude, when directed towards God, is a measure of our love for God. Psalm 97, 10 through 12. There are so many uh, psalms that express thanksgiving, that express uh, gratitude, uh, that that express our um, appreciation for who God is and what he's done for us. Verse 10 of Psalm 97 says, You who love the Lord, this says hate evil. Hate is uh, the actual word, sane in Hebrew, I think a better translation is rejects, rejects evil. You who love the Lord, reject evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. Uh, Preserving your soul. Um, How does he preserve our our souls? Um, He keeps it. He provides for us an understanding of who we are and who he is. And that is really a basis for happiness. When our souls are, are uh, when we understand who God is, our souls uh, rely upon him and we have a sense of happiness and joy. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. <clears throat> Verse 11 Light is sown for the righteous. Now, the word light here uh, is probably um, a sense. It's the sense of light is happiness and joyfulness. And I that's how I uh, like to uh, translate this, because I think this is a figure of speech. Light is sown for the righteousness, or we could say um, happiness or joy is sown for the righteous. And how how do I can come to that conclusion? Because the second line and gladness for the upright in heart, and they support each other. They reinforce the meaning. Verse 12, rejoice, be glad in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of this holy name. And then finally, finally, gratitude is reflected in our worship for God. Point 10. Gratitude is reflected in our worship for God. Gratitude, praise, blessing God, blessed by God. These are forms of gratitude. So gratitude is reflected in our worship for God. First Chronicles 29, 10 through 15. Uh, This is uh, a passage that's written by David and I'll just read through it. Blessed. Praised. I like that translation as well. An expression of gratitude. <clears throat> Blessed. Praised are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth 
is yours. Yours is the kingdom of yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over it. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand, uh, in your hand, it is to make great and to give strength to all. Verse thirteen. <clears throat> now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. And then he says, "We do this, but how can we do this? But who am I, and who are my people?" that we should be able to offer so willingly as this. For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. Verse 15, For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. So without God, without God's provision, Our days on earth would be a shadow and be without hope. Gratitude. Gratitude is the measure of our spiritual lives. Gratitude specifically towards God, but also gratitude to others because we have a relationship with other believers. They have spiritual gifts. We are serving each other and our Our humility brings us to a place of gratitude towards them. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for all that you've done for us. And as George Washington has said, and for our nation. We pray, Father, that you would continue to bless us. That we would understand that any blessings that we have come from you. Help us to have genuine humility so that we can understand uh, the importance of this gratitude and that we will be motivated to be great, uh, to be um, thankful to you and that we will live our lives in an attitude of gratitude. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.